Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. As we enter the holiday season, I imagine that you are looking forward to a season full of friends, family, and celebrations. But I also know this time of year can be full of stress with traveling and hunting for the perfect gift for your loved ones. And that's why I'm so excited to bring you a special offer that goes beyond the typical gift-giving frenzy. This year, give the gift of relational self-awareness. From now until December 20th, all of my online offerings are 20% off when you give them to a loved one. You can take this opportunity to share my Hallmark course, Intimate Relationships 101, which focuses on building the strongest foundation for a thriving intimate relationship, relational self-awareness. This could be the perfect gift for the young adult in your life who's just beginning their journey with dating and partnership. This offer also includes 20% off my e-course, Can I Trust You Again? Rebuilding After Betrayal or Deceit. This e-course could serve as a gentle gift to a friend who's struggling in the aftermath of betrayal and deceit. Finally, the Reimagining Love workbook serves as a companion to this podcast. So this workbook would be a great gift for another Reimagining Love listener in your life. Visit dralexandrasolomon.com slash gift guide 2023 to explore these offerings. Alongside the sale, you'll also find suggestions for how to give these gifts in the most empathic and compassionate way. With your purchase of a course or the workbook, you'll receive a gift card to share with your loved one at the time that you choose. Visit dralexandrasolomon.com slash gift guide 2023. You can also find that link in the episode's show notes. This offer of 20% off my online offerings is only valid from now until December 20th. So I hope you take advantage of this unique chance to share the gift of relational self-awareness as you and your loved ones move into a new year. Happy learning and loving. Welcome to another solo series here on Reimagining Love. We've got our work cut out for ourselves today. So 
we're quickly approaching the end of a year, another year. And to me, this episode, the topic that we've chosen is uniquely well suited for this time of year. I mean, any time of year, but I think especially as we approach the new year, it's a time of reflection. It's a time when lots of us set goals for ourselves, but that process might bring forward, you know, some self-criticism, some judgment about our habits. The most common New Year's resolutions, it turns out, are around health, going to the gym more, getting better sleep, eating a healthier diet. And I'm going to be sharing some thoughts on New Year's resolutions in the new year. But today, we're not going to be talking about your habits. We're going to be talking about your feelings about your partner's habits. (laughs) I told you it's a big one. So, what do you need to do when your partner's unhealthy habit is driving you crazy. Today, we'll explore what might be kind of hiding out beneath these concerns. And then in part two, I will provide some guidance on how to navigate these conversations with sensitivity and understanding. And because this episode is thick with three C's, (laughs) as the kids say, we've made a worksheet that is going to be sent to newsletter subscribers. So if you want to join my weekly newsletter, head to dralexandrasolomon.com slash subscribe, or you can find the link in the show notes. Okay, so I was recently in a conversation about a 50-something-year-old husband, and he's got in his family a history of colon cancer, and he has yet to get himself a colonoscopy. And one person in this conversation argued that if this was her, if she was the wife in this situation, she would pester her husband until he scheduled the appointment. And even if he did that, just in order to get her to be quiet, she would just pester until he changed his behavior. And another friend chimed in with her perspective that, you know what, it's his life, it's his choices, and what the heck can she do about it? So that was in part the inspiration for this episode. Is it just his life and his choices? What if his choice to avoid getting a colonoscopy puts him at risk of cancer, an illness that will certainly affect his partner's life? What authority do you have to advocate for changing your partner's behavior when their choices are going to affect you in the long run? It's a lot, right? Dynamics around health behavior show up all the time in my clinical work. And conversation around how to help couples navigate it is pretty dicey. Here's some examples. I hate that my partner chews tobacco. I wish that my partner would go to the gym more often. I wish my partner ate less junk food. These topics put us face-to-face with big existential questions about the nature of intimate partnerships. To what degree are we separate individuals on our own paths versus part of a we? What do we do about the reality that because we are a couple, your choices affect me? And if we are a we, then when and how do I get to weigh in on your choices? These are questions with no easy answers and with plenty of opportunities for conflict. The partner requesting change often feels anxious and angry and unheard, and the partner who's being asked to change feels micromanaged, defensive, judged. Okay, here's the kicker. (laughs) couples get into conflict about disagreements or different perspectives about health, right? (laughs) But also chronic conflict 
is bad for our health. In fact, a 2014 study published in the Psychological Bulletin found that the relationships between marital quality, like measures of marital quality, and various health outcomes, the connection there is strong. And the effect size, like the strength of the connection between quality of your relationship and quality of your health, that connection between those two variables is similar in magnitude to the effects that diet and exercise have on various health outcomes. (laughs) Do you hear the tragic irony? Fighting about your partner's diet and exercise has the power to erode your partner's physical health and your physical health, frankly, just as much as the lousy diet or the inadequate exercise that you are complaining about. Oi, so we've got our work cut out for us today. We've got to figure out how to minimize friction and how to maximize loving alignment around matters of health. So my plan is one, I'm going to offer two contextual factors that are going to frame our conversation. Two, I'm going to talk about how we can practice relational self-awareness by understanding the degree to which our desire to change our partner is coming from the energy of love versus the energy of fear. Three, I'm going to help us think about this problem in a relational way by introducing the idea of a health habit discrepancy. And then finally, I'm going to talk to each partner. I'm going to talk to the one who wants their partner to change, and I'm going to talk to the one who's being asked to change and offer each of them some guidance. Before I get any further, I want to frame this episode in a larger context by addressing two things. Number one, the fact that health behaviors happen on a spectrum. And number two, the fact that health behaviors are profoundly impacted by privilege. First, we can put health behaviors on a spectrum that goes from neglectful at one end to neurotic at the other end, right? So one end of the spectrum is somebody who does not seek any health-based information or even perhaps actively avoids health-based information, somebody who is not at all engaged in health-based practices. That's one end. That's the neglect end of the spectrum. But all the way on the other end, there's the neurotic end, somebody who's incredibly scrupulous and compulsive around their eating, around their exercise, around their health. And this end of the spectrum also can be quite dangerous territory. So I'm trying to talk in this episode about a middle range of behaviors. We're not going to be hanging out at the ends of the spectrum today. We're hanging out in the middle. We're hanging out talking about health behaviors that are worrisome, that are irksome, that are less than ideal, rather than issues that are rooted in significant and untreated mental health issues or that create risk of imminent danger. Okay, so I want to be clear. We're talking about chewing tobacco. We're not talking about severe and untreated addiction. We're talking about drinking more than is ideal. We're not talking about refusing to take medicine that puts somebody's mental or physical health in jeopardy. We're talking about your feelings that your partner isn't exercising as much as you'd like or that they're eating more fast food than you think is great. We're not talking about binge eating or extreme restriction or any other sort of unsafe relationships with food and exercise. Those, you know, there are some of us that are hanging out at those ends of the spectrum, but for our purposes today, we're talking about <laughs> irksome, worrisome, less than ideal. Second, 
It's really important for me to acknowledge that our orientation to health behavior intersects with culture. Unfortunately, there's no getting around the fact that it requires a measure of privilege to be health-oriented. Medical care is expensive and can be difficult or impossible to access depending on who you are and where you are. Organic food costs more than fast food. And even beyond money, just having time to focus on health is a privilege. Consistently going to the gym, researching recipes and different diets, making meal plans and cooking, those all require time and energy that not everybody has if they are working long hours to make ends meet. And we know also that systemic issues and inequality compromise access to fresh food and healthy options. There's food insecurity, there's food deserts, there's environmental racism. These all disproportionately impact marginalized communities and create complex challenges to the health of people in those communities. Just two little data points here. Research that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association in 2016 found that the richest Americans live longer than the poorest Americans. For men, it's nearly 15 years. And for women, it's 10 years. And then in 2018, there was a meta-analysis, sort of a study of studies from the British Journal of Medicine that found that not only does lower socioeconomic status put someone at higher risk of obesity and therefore the health consequences that can come, but that obesity also puts somebody at risk for a downward slide in their socioeconomic status. So that arrow goes in both directions. The stigma of obesity creates extra challenges that are beyond any health implications. So I really wanted to name those two caveats. We're talking about behaviors that are somewhere in the middle of the spectrum that nonetheless cause lots of tension and conflict for couples. And when we talk about, when I, in this episode, talk about health behaviors as a quote unquote choice, I want to acknowledge that I know and I recognize that we don't all have the same expanse of possibility. Privilege expands possibility. Marginalization constricts possibility. Okay, let's talk about the energy of fear and the energy of love. When you find yourself wanting your partner to make, quote unquote, better choices around their health, one route you can take is to ask them and then cajole them and then insist and then threaten. Another route you can take is to practice relational self-awareness and see if you can bravely, gently get in touch with exactly why you are trying to change them. In this part of the episode, I want to push you a little bit to peel back some layers. So rather than just sticking with, I want my partner to stop chewing tobacco because chewing tobacco is bad, I want to give you some tools to get a little bit underneath that. What for you is so painful? What for you is so troubling about your partner's behavior choice? This is not, by the way, to let your partner off the hook in any way, shape, or form. It is it is a way for me to help you deepen your own understanding of yourself and therefore open up some more avenues for how you might approach your partner. And maybe the two of you then can have a different conversation than the one you've been having so far. So if you've been working with me for a while, or if you've been following my work for a while, you've heard me talk about the fact that there are really two motivators of our behavior, the energy of fear and the energy of love. The energy of fear 
is driving us, when we are fueled by a need for control, when we're fueled by a lack of trust of ourselves, of our partner, the energy of fear feels tight and it feels urgent. By contrast, the energy of love is when we are fueled or driven by a desire for connection, a desire for ease, a desire for peace. The energy of love feels open and it feels gentle. So we're going to look at both. And it, and it probably, for you, isn't 100% of one and 0% of the other. It's probably a blend. So as we talk this through, I want you just to feel into whether these different elements resonate for you and the degree to which these different elements resonate for you. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Kraftchik and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so energy of fear. We're going to tackle the energy of fear first. It's likely that your desire for your partner to change their health behavior is motivated at least in part by the energy of fear because we're all just so darn human. It's uncomfortable to talk about or look at the messy stuff that may be coming up inside of you when you begin to notice your partner making choices that you perceive as unhealthy. But as James Baldwin said, Quote, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can change until it has been faced. So I'm going to ask you to get brave and ask yourself, what keeps me from accepting my partner's current behavior? I'm going to run four ideas by you and see if any or all of these land. The four are merger, danger, reflection, and invisibility. <laughs> okay. Tell me more, you say to yourself. Okay, merger. Maybe part of what's going on for you is a, a feeling of merger. Merger sounds like this. When my partner's health habits slip, I get afraid that my health habits are going to slip as well. When I say that I want my partner to eat healthier or go to the gym more often, I'm in part saying that I want them to live a long and happy life, but I'm also saying that I want my partner to make healthy choices so that I can make sure that I make healthy choices too. The overt thing is I'm protecting you from health problems, but the covert thing, the thing underneath is I'm protecting myself from the risk of sliding into bad habits with you. And listen. That fear is founded. A 2017 review published in the Annual Review of Clinical Psychology found the following. Intimate partners influence each other's mental and physical health trajectories. Our physical health is linked to each other and couples' health and health behaviors are often similar and they tend to converge over time. 
And researchers argue that these intertwined research findings happen for a few different reasons. Number one, we tend to pick partners who are similar to us right off the bat, and that might include shared beliefs or habits around health. Number two, couples share an environment and our environments shape our health. Whether it's, you know, like I was saying before, access to healthy food or how the urban design in our area shapes our ability to go on walks or to exercise. And then third, couples are interdependent. Our daily lives lead us to share habits around exercise and diet and sleep. And that interdependence can impact us in both positive and negative ways. On the one hand, if one partner has a health problem, that can negatively impact the other. But that interconnectedness can be used to have couples or have partners support each other through health challenges that ultimately lead to better results for both of them. But for you, it may be, you know, like one part of it is let's be healthy together. But another part of it is like that sort of merger that I'm I'm trying to get us to look at here of like, I need you strong because if you're not strong, what if I'm not strong? That feeling a little bit of a kind of codependent, I don't know how I can be, I don't know how to be different from you. I'm afraid that I can't be different from you. So if you grew up in a family where closeness was confused with sameness, this merger element might be particularly strong for you. You perhaps learned in an unconscious way even to be like the big people in your home in order to feel connected to them. Difference was threatening, so you just figured out how to do sameness. And so then some part of you knows that you tend to be at risk of doing that again in your intimate relationship, that it may be particularly hard for you to stand on your own two feet, to make your own choices regardless of what your partner is doing because of the tendencies you grew up with in your family. Perhaps you grew up in a family where you actually were made to feel guilty or you were punished for being different or you were shamed for excelling or shamed for shining too brightly. If so, you learn to pay close attention to the people around you and tone down your behavior to match theirs. So if you're noticing some slippage in your partner's habits, that may kind of convey to you, oh, here we go again. If they're changing, then I'm going to have to change to accommodate. I'm going to have to dim myself the way that I did when I was growing up. So that feeling makes sense. But what I'm hoping is that by pointing you in that direction, it can liberate you to A, know that you can continue making your own choices despite what they're doing and B, so that you can find a way to talk about it with your partner that is more endearing, where you can kind of get to some of these deeper layers and have a more interesting conversation than you really should be different. Okay. Second, danger. If danger is kind of coming into the mix here for you, I'm talking about emotional danger, not physical danger, but that element of danger sounds like this. When I watch my partner's health habits slip, I start to view my partner as out of control. And when I start to view my partner as out of control, I start to feel emotionally unsafe. If this one lands for you, I have a strong hunch that there's a family of origin wound that's being kicked up for you. For those of us with trauma or really complex family dynamics, falling in love may feel to us like a promise that we won't ever have to experience the kind of isolation or the kind of fear that we felt when we were little. In our partner, we feel as if we found an escape from pain. 
So that admiration of our partner sits awfully close to idealization. That was not a promise that our partner made to us, but it certainly was a hope that perhaps we carried in. We unconsciously cast our partner, so to speak, in a role that they did not ask to play. And so then when they start to act like a mere mortal, their health habits are slipping, they're not quite the same as they were when we first met them, it can feel unsafe actually, to a little young part of us. We aren't unsafe. We may be uncomfortable. We may feel sad, but we aren't actually unsafe. But the strength of your judgment of your partner's health habit may speak to that younger part of you that's getting activated. And certainly, certainly, if you grew up in a family that struggled with addiction, you tracked your caregiver's substance use as a way to attempt to predict when things would start to feel volatile or scary or to track when your caregiver would no longer be able to provide you with care because they were using. So you establish this pattern of tracking somebody else's behavior as a way to stay safe, as a way to prevent the awful feeling of being blindsided. So it's understandable then that you bring this tendency into your romantic relationship and you monitor your partner's health habits, maybe not even consciously, but you're monitoring, you're looking for shifts in the pattern and your nervous system gets activated when you observe a change in your partner. And that activation leaves you feeling angry or critical or annoyed. But really what you're saying is, I don't feel safe. I'm scared. Okay. Woo, shake that one off. It's a big one. It's a big one, but I think it's, you know, it sort of seems like, really, Alexandra, you're talking to us about this deep stuff when we're talking about going to the gym. Yeah, I am. I always am. I'm always wanting us to go deeper, to look at the sneaky, subtle, profound ways that history is sneaking in. Okay, still in the energy of fear, element number three, reflection. Okay, so reflection. If reflection is in the mix for you, it sounds like this. When my partner's health habits slip, I start to view my partner as weak or not as strong as I thought they were or embarrassing to me. And when I start to view my partner as weak or embarrassing, I start to feel ashamed by association. This one's tricky to talk about, isn't it? It's It's a tricky one to talk about. It's a difficult line to walk. How do we hold this place of both closeness and separateness? If we are a we, then the things that our partner does can start to feel like a reflection on us because we are a part of that we. It's like I fear people judging you and then judging me by association. If you grew up in a family system that confused behavior with character, this can be especially confusing for you. If you grew up feeling like you were only as good as your last A or your last performance, then you likely have some perfectionistic ideas about how you need to be. And you understandably bring your partner into those expectations. Except that rather than just managing yourself, you now feel like you need to manage them too. And this feeling of avoiding judgment through perfectionism, it's an understandable adaptation to a very painful early reality. But when it gets projected onto a partner, when you start doing to them what you have long done to yourself, the situation is not tenable. It's really tiring for both of you. So here I'm just asking you to kind of get in touch with how that reflection idea might be coming up for you. 
And I'm not denying that people may make judgments of you based on what your partner is doing or not doing. I am just challenging you a bit around the idea that you have to take on those judgments, that those judgments say anything about you. I think that people's judgments have much more to say about who they are, who the judges are, than who the people being judged are. And I would want you to notice and make this connection for yourself because the degree to which you can liberate your partner from perfectionism is the degree to which you can start to liberate yourself from perfectionism. And you have long deserved to be liberated from perfectionistic ideas that you have to be perfect to be loved. You have long deserved liberation from that old story that you carried. And sometimes if it's hard for us to liberate ourselves for our own sake, you might be able to get there through compassion. Like, ah, it kind of breaks my heart that I'm doing to my partner what I do to myself. My partner deserves grace. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. If my partner deserves grace, who else might deserve grace? Maybe I also deserve grace. It's like a little bit of a a backdoor route to self-compassion. But listen, I'll take any route I can get to self-compassion. So I'm just inviting the possibility here that if your desire to control your partner's behavior is because of a fear of you getting judged based on how they're being or not being, maybe you guys both get to be set free from other people's expectations or stories of who and how you're supposed to be. Okay, number four here in the category of energy of fear is invisibility. Invisibility sounds like this. When my partner makes choices that they know I don't feel good about, that they know I struggle with, I don't feel cherished. I don't feel chosen. I don't feel seen. This is a terrible feeling. And research has shown us that in healthy relationships, when one person raises a concern, the other person says, huh, I don't see it the way you see it, but I love you and I trust you and I know that you love me. So tell me more. And if your partner is not able to do that, your feeling of invisibility makes so much sense. And if your partner's behavior leads you to feel like your concerns are being ignored, your desire to control them or change them makes sense. You are attempting to protect yourself from a really horrible feeling. And I just want to insert in here that your partner is very likely not intending for you to feel invisible, even as the impact of their behavior is that you do feel invisible. You are personalizing something that is most likely not personal. And this may be a particular, listen, no no one likes to feel this way, but it may be especially tender for you if you grew up in a family of origin where you felt unseen and misunderstood. So here again, the idea is I am attempting to control my partner's behavior because their health choices reactivate inside of me an old and tender and painful wound that started long before I even met my partner. Not saying that if there's an old wound, you should silence yourself. Just saying that recognizing that there's an old wound allows you to tend to the young part of you, your little you, and then approach your partner in a way that is more grounded, more empowered, and more collaborative. Okay, let's move on to the energy of love. So here, I want to just like get specific about the fact that very likely in the mix here for you is that you want your partner to make different choices from a place inside of you that is grounded, that is clear, 
that is calm, the energy of love, your desire for them to be well and to be healthy. I want to just kind of get specific about that because it's in the mix and it deserves to also have our loving attention in this conversation. So I'm going to talk to you about four ways that this plays out. Here we're talking about longevity, empathic concern, loneliness, and constriction. Longevity sounds like this. When I feel like you, partner of mine, are not taking good care of yourself, I become afraid of losing you. I worry you're going to hurt yourself. I worry you're going to get sick and die. As I was working on developing this episode, I read a tweet from Jack, who's, I guess it's not Twitter anymore, whose ex handle is at you gotta she her. That's the handle. And Jack wrote this. My girlfriend told me she would break up with me unless I started to wear a bike helmet. She gave me three strikes. Now, when I wear it, it reminds me how much she loves me. (laughs) I was like, well, this needs to go in the episode. So Jack's girlfriend gave Jack an ultimatum. Listen, we have no context for this tweet. We don't know what methods the girlfriend had tried before getting to the point. And we don't know how Jack the biker had responded to the girlfriend's prior entreaties. But I would love for you to check in with yourself and just notice like what comes up inside of you when you hear this scenario. Do you deem the girlfriend to be controlling, loving, both? Do you feel like this girlfriend is attempting to mitigate her risk in the relationship, the emotional risk of loving someone who could then die from a crash without a helmet? And in leveling this ultimatum, who do you think the girlfriend was protecting? Herself, her partner? both. What struck me about this example is that rather than hardening into defensiveness and a battle of wills, my girlfriend doesn't control me. I'm my own person. This Twitter user, this ex-user, Jack, stepped into a story about love. Like they really understood that the girlfriend was coming from this energy of love around longevity, right? Jack's response was, my girlfriend loves me so much that the idea of losing me is so intolerable. It's so wretched that she (laughs) drew the line. She dropped the hammer. I also hope that Jack rewound the tape a little bit and maybe explored the sequence of events that led up to the girlfriend's declaration, right? I wonder if the girlfriend had maybe asked many, many times and Jack just kind of rolled their eyes. And if so... Jack might want to explore what kept them from leaning into their girlfriend's influence long before the girlfriend then, you know, dropped the hammer, so to speak. So if you are finding yourself annoyed at your partner over an unhealthy habit, you know, you get to, you get to keep in the mix that your annoyance is rooted in love. And we all know the old saying, you can't change somebody else, right? We know that. You know, you know rationally you cannot change somebody else. But it's it's worth you keeping clear that your desire to change your partner's unhealthy habits stems, at least in part, from your desire for them to live a long and healthy life with you so that you can enjoy them for many years to come. A desire that our teen daughter calls pure 
That's a pure desire. It's sweet. It may not be the only thing going on for you, right? Your pure, wholesome desire for them to, you know, live a long, happy life with you may sit alongside that discomfort we were talking about before, that desire to control. But I'm bringing this up and I'm naming it because I want you to lead with this. When you raise your concern to your partner, I want you to lead with your love. I want you to lead with this idea of longevity. It's more vulnerable for you. And perhaps that's why, you know, you might know it inside your heart. You might feel like it's obvious, but you might not be saying it out loud because of the vulnerability. Maybe there's a fear there that it puts you kind of one down or something but I want to challenge you to lead with that love. It also might be more effective to lead with that love because your partner can then more easily see that what you're reaching for is connection, not control. So let's move on to empathic concern. Empathic concern sounds like this. My dear partner, I am clear that you deserve to feel good and whole on the inside because you are such a fantastic person. And therefore... It hurts me when I see you taking less than great care of yourself. I love this body that you live in. It is the temple of your soul. And so when I see you not treating it very well, not taking the best care of it that you can, I just feel concerned for you. I feel empathy and I, and I, it's, it's a struggle for me to watch you not take good care of yourself because I want you well. And I want you well, not for my own sake, but because you deserve, your good nature, your good self deserves to feel as good as it can possibly be. Okay. So this concern, again, makes total sense. And I want you as the person with the concern to be able to bring it up to your partner in that way. From where you stand, the choices your partner is making are not in the service of their health. And there might be some differences between the two of you in terms of how you define healthy behavior, your level of risk tolerance. But in this scenario, you are clear and aligned on the inside because from your perspective, right, this is not them caring for themselves in the way that you really want them to because of your love for them and your belief that they deserve good health. It's like in the first one, the longevity, it was like, I want you here for me. In the second one, empathic concern, it's like, I want you here for you. I want you to show up for you because you deserve you to show up for you. That's the difference between the first one and second one. Okay, third one, loneliness. If loneliness is in the mix for you, that loneliness sounds like this. My beloved partner, (laughs) when your health habits slip, I notice that you seem to get a little bit lost in your own world. Maybe because you feel badly about your behavior, maybe because your energy is a little bit low, maybe because you know that I know that you're doing something that I struggle with, and it puts space between us. And when we have that space between us, I miss you. Okay, so in this one, your reactivity to your partner's unhealthy habit is your very, very healthy protest against the loss of connection. You're protesting a loss of connection. You're saying, listen... When you're, you know, there's a, there's a sequence of events here. You start going to the gym less, you feel more sluggish, you feel more self-conscious, you pull back, you don't want to make love as often, you're kind of sitting on the couch far away from me. And I, I notice that when you're not taking as good a care of yourself as I know you can, it puts a space between us that makes me feel sad and that I wish was different. 
So again, that to me feels like energy of love because that's that's you speaking from a place that wants healthy connection between the two of you. Last one is constriction. So if constriction is in the mix for you, it sounds like this. When my energy is going into worrying about your health behavior, I find that I have less energy available for fun, for relaxation, and to be present with you in the way that I want to be. Am I responsible for my own mood? Yes, right? I'm in charge of my own mood. And we're interdependent. Your behavior does affect my mood and my mood in turn affects your mood, which probably then also affects your behavior. And on and on we go. Okay, so here the idea is that you're wanting your partner's behavior to change because you know that there's a toll it takes on you. When you are observing and noticing your partner's health behavior slipping, there's a toll that it takes on you and that then you struggle to show up as the partner that you want to be. Yes, you are responsible for your own mindset. Yes, you are responsible for what you choose to focus on. And at the same time, you and your partner are interdependent. The two of you do feed off of each other. And you know how you want to feel with your partner. You want to feel open. You want to feel light. You want to feel connected. And you know that it's really freaking hard to do that when you are watching them make a choice that does damage to them or that pulls them away from you. So here it's like you're sort of saying, help me help us, right? Help me show up in the way that I want to show up for our relationship. Be mindful of your behavior so I can be the partner to you that you deserve to have. So by talking through the energy of fear and the energy of love, my hope is that you can deepen your understanding of why you're struggling with your partner's habit. I want you to understand your struggle specifically and deeply. My goal here is that by considering the energy of love, the energy of fear, and how some mix of each of those might be happening inside of you, you can, number one, get in touch with who your frustration is trying to protect, yourself, your partner, both. You can better understand what your frustration is trying to protect you from feeling. And you can tend to the parts of yourself that are feeling unsafe or unseen. You do have a responsibility to care for those younger parts of yourself that can get activated by this relationship challenge in the way that our younger parts get activated in any and all relationship challenges. And when you're able to do that, when you're able to notice and recognize the stuff, the you stuff that you bring in, then you can talk to your partner in an empowered and calm way. Now that we've gone through some of what might be hiding out beneath this tension for you, I think this is a good moment to pause. We'll return next week to discuss some of the factors that might be playing into this health habit discrepancy happening in your relationship. In the second part of the series, I'm also going to give you some tips and some strategies for how you can navigate conversations between the two of you. And that's whether you're the one raising the concern or whether you're the one receiving the feedback. This topic is really kind of just bursting with opportunities for reflection. So I invite you to take some time to reflect on the ideas that I discussed today. 
which of these ideas speak most to you? Which of these ideas feel most challenging for you? And again, I've made you a companion worksheet designed to help you reflect on the ideas we've covered in this episode. That worksheet is going to be the same one that you use in this week and next week's episode. And the worksheet is going to be in this week and next week's newsletter. If you're not already receiving my newsletter, head to dralexandrasolomon.com slash subscribe or find the link in the show notes to sign up. As you explore the worksheet or simply just let today's lessons from this episode sink in, please remember relationship challenges are opportunities for us to practice and expand our relational self-awareness. I look forward to joining you next week for part two of this series. Okay, until next time, be well. Reimagining Love is produced and edited by Emily Reeves. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.